KBC. This is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mack. Your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Hello, and welcome to the Happy Hour. I <laughs> um, hope that you had a great uh, 4th of July. I uh, hope that uh, the rest of the week went well. And uh, how are you guys doing? Great. Thank you. Hi, Chick. Yes, and I'm doing good as well. Awesome. Did you guys have a fun 4th? Well, it was a, bit, a little low key here on my end. I did have a burger. Um, you know, it is it is constitutionally required that one do that on the fourth. So I, I did thought, have a burger. But thought, um, other than that, uh, just kind of kept it low key here. I thought you just had to drive like a Chevrolet and eat apple pie, <laughs> go to a baseball game and eat hot dogs. I did have a hot dog and I did drive a Chevrolet. So. There, 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 there you go. You win. Chick wins today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all I did was sit here and feel sorry for all the pooches in my neighborhood because for the whole week, it seems my neighbors have been blowing off fireworks and not just like, you know, tame fireworks, but what sounds like cherry bombs, you know, or, you know, uh, M16s, you know, it's just M80s. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just unbelievable how into it some people get. Right. And it's like, I mean, people have to understand. Now, do you live within city limits? Do I? Uh, I do yes. live within my city's city limits, but you have to understand that I also live in the desert, which is a tinderbox, and it is illegal in all of our municipalities here in the Coachella Valley region for anybody to have any fireworks of any sort, even the so-called safe and sane ones, are not legal here. Uh, the only fireworks that are allowed are the pyrotechnics who come in, our technicians who come in and put on the professional shows at a few different places across the valley. So anybody blowing anything up is not really advised. I had a neighbor a few years back uh, who's probably about eight or nine houses away uh, that actually burned down half their house because mm -hmm. of fireworks. But, you know, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it was only 118 degrees on, on the 4th of July. So, you know. Well, you know, this is the time of year um, when when I found my social media feed is awash with images of drunk dudes uh, shooting Roman candles at their dicks. So, um, you know, well, so, so here's the <laughs> thing. I'm, I'm hoping that all of our listeners, uh, each and every one of them and their friends and family and so on, came away from this past week's festivities with all of their body parts still attached exactly yeah so exactly. hopefully you had a, a sane and enjoyable fourth of july holiday if you're in the united states and and wherever you are that you're having a safe and fun summer and and that you're well and speaking of uh different locations in the world um <laughs> we have a a fun story to um the bay state of massachusetts has engaged in a little bit of a uh, trolling campaign against Texas and Florida. Smart. 
And uh, it's it's interesting. So they've what they've done is they've bought billboards within Texas and Florida that basically just say, hey, Massachusetts is really great for LGBTQ folks. Just FYI. Yeah, um, it's a smart campaign. And uh, credit goes where it's due to Governor Maura Healy up there, uh, who said that at a time when other states are misguidedly restricting LGBTQIA plus rights, we are proud to send the message that Massachusetts is a safe, welcoming, and inclusive place for all to anyone considering where they want to live, raise a family, visit, or build a business. We want you to join us here in Massachusetts. You know, I have to say, my uh, my experience in the Bay State uh, was was positive on the LGBTQ front. It you know, it actually is a pretty. I mean, New York is also is also you know a, a great place to be queer. But um, but yeah, uh, you know, there's a long history, um, you know, of of not only tolerance but acceptance um, in Massachusetts. And so, you know, to see this campaign, especially right now, um, with Florida and Texas amongst many other states kind of leading the charge against trans folks, but even just really generally LGBTQ folk, um, kind of the right moment to send that message for sure. Yeah, and uh, Governor Healy, uh, by the way, if you didn't know, uh, was the first, I'm going to say openly lesbian governor of a state in the United States. I do believe, uh, and I may be stepping out of, out of my spot, but I do believe that Dixie Lee Ray, who served as the governor of the state of Washington uh, back in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, I think, uh, I th- I'm pretty sure that, that she was a member of the club, but she was not out. <laughs> she was quite the environmentalist, right. though. She did end up on the cover of Time magazine because of her... Uh, stands for um, protecting uh, wild species and things like that. But, yeah. So, anyway. And I will say that, um, you know, maybe though she wasn't herself uh, gay, I, I, I put Ann Richards in the in the gay icon category for sure. Yeah, she gets an honorary mention from the state of Texas. She was, she was the last sane governor that the Lone Star State had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a great documentary about her that um I I watched it and I didn't really know much about her before that and I came away just being like, oh, what an amazing person and a great politician too. Yeah, uh, and she was a state attorney general too. Uh, I'm referring to um, Governor Healy in Massachusetts and her first successful challenge uh, to the Defense of Marriage Act helped to lay the groundwork for marriage equality nationwide. So she's been a real advocate for the LGBTQ community. And, uh, you know, I think that we're going to see a trend like this in progressive states. Uh, Certainly, um, Gavin Newsom in California purchased a bunch of billboards after the Dobbs decision in both Texas and Florida. And they basically said, you're welcome to come to California and enjoy uh, freedom of reproductive rights. And and so I, I congratulate these uh, state leaders who take these stands, not because they need to really recruit more people to their states, but to let, you know, to put it out there in front of people who live all across this country in places where things that they never thought that they were going to see their rights being, 
you know, cut back, restricted, uh, just putting the pressure on the elected officials who live in their state to show that there is a better way and that we don't have to all be fearful of, you know, being sent back into the, you know, 17th century. Right. And I think recently Governor Hochul in New York declared uh, New York state to be a sort of a trans sanctuary as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in light of what we're seeing in in places like Texas and Florida, um, you know, it's a good message to get out there, um, you know, and it is kind of crazy, though, that we're living in a time where, um, you know, as certain articles I've read have, have talked about that they're are folks who could be legitimately considered uh, domestic refugees, um, trans folks who are literally fleeing from states that they lived in because it is so untenable to be there anymore. Yeah, it, it's it's a really crazy world that we live in today. And as we talked about on last week's episode, uh, after the variety of cases that came out of the United States Supreme Court over the past couple of weeks, it... I think it is actually more positive than negative what has happened in terms of long-term change that will happen in this country because I think that the whole 2024 election cycle is going to be a lot more vibrant than it was. I mean, I'm already seeing it in all the solicitations for candidates that are showing up in my email box for donations. And to see that there are a lot of people who believe the same values that we believe in and that, you know, Americans should not see their rights being cut back, but expanded that, uh, you know, that there are a number of people out there running for those positions. And I think wherever you live in this country, even if you're in a deeply red state, that you really need to get behind those people. If you live in those states and to participate in their campaigns, maybe you can't give them money, but you can always give them time and volunteer for those campaigns and help make a difference and get out and doorbell. And I have friends here in the Coachella Valley who have, over the last couple of election cycles, gone to places like Georgia and Florida and North Carolina to help doorbell for candidates who believe in freedoms that we value. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think just doing that kind of... Um, you know, pounding the pavement type work is super important. I think, you know, the next step up um, is uh, also to think about things like getting involved, you know, in the smallest way, in in the smallest possible elected official type ways, things like school boards and stuff. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of where the kind of virulent right cuts its teeth is literally starting at school boards. And they also can affect a lot of change at that level. And so, um, you know, it's it sounds boring. It sounds very dry uh, to do something like be on a school board, but it has immense effects and is also kind of a way to, you know, to counter the kind of, quote, deep bench that the right often has, which they build in places like school boards. Stop and think about what is happening with all of these book banning issues and, you know, story times by drag queens and so on and so forth. That's the kind of stuff that getting involved at the school board level, you can absolutely make a difference on. You don't have to go for the city council first time out. Right. Absolutely. Well, speaking Um, of trans people, uh, I see that there's some stuff in the news this week uh, affecting uh, 
LGBTQ people, uh, gay and trans panic defense issues that have come up once again. Certainly, we've heard a lot of stuff around the panic defenses, uh, going back to, you know, the unfortunate issue of what happened in Laramie, Wyoming years ago with Matthew Shepard and so many other cases where people are like, you know, oh my God, a FOMO has hit on me, you know, and they think that that gives them a right to beat the hell out of them or even kill them. Right. So um, recently some um, Democrats uh, in Congress introduced a bill to essentially uh, nullify uh, that gay or trans panic as a legal defense strategy um and you know sort of officially kind of make it the you know the the rule that that's not something that should be considered um because you know it is it's generally used as a kind of like uh leniency type argument uh you know to basically say oh well you know uh gee sorry i just the I, I didn't realize the person that I was I had sex with was trans, and so I freaked out and I killed him. But you know, wouldn't you do the same? It's 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 a plea for leniency, and it's it's really gross and really old fashioned. And um, I mean, I'm I'm glad that this is you know that this is being introduced now. Um, it feels so old old school. I'm like, ugh, it's still a thing, but yeah. Um, so we are. There are steps being made to officially kind of put the put that in the history books, thankfully. Thank God. I, I just every time I hear one of these stories uh one of these cases come up, it, it just makes me want to heave. You know, human yeah, beings it, are it, still human beings are still human beings. And and what yeah, what I, amazes me is so many people who don't have an issue with this are the same people who are the right to life crowd. You know, the people who say, you know, no abortion. And <laughs> it's selective right to life. Right. One, especially, you know, what we've seen recently in the past couple years is this like, I think extremely chilling, um, vast expansion of things like the castle doctrine and stand your ground where, um, you know, and again, these are people who are uh, many times are, are, you know, very stridently, you know, quote pro-life or, you know, as you could characterize it, anti-abortion. Um, but also believe that if you just are at a random gas station and you feel scared because there's a black person near you, you can just shoot them and kill them. And that's fine because, you know, you were standing your ground. Um, and so that kind of goes generally back to, you know, this is, we're talking about gay panic or trans panic, but just this idea of panic uh, as a, as a complete, uh, you know, defense to murder or manslaughter is wild to me. And I really, I, I see this expansion of that, of this castle doctrine, stand your ground as really making it almost impossible um, to administer kind of just basic rules of civility. Like you don't just kill people. Have either of you ever experienced having somebody, I guess, approach you thinking that you were a heterosexual male? Yes. And what happened when they found out otherwise? 
Um, I mean, it happened pretty often throughout high school for me. Um, and and it, I presume I, you know you're referring to it being females who did this. Yes, yeah. and also, I mean, it, it happened with men as well. Like they they would come up to me and ask me like what I thought of what this girl looked like, or it was a girl that approached me thinking I may ask him out on a date or something like that, and. Um, generally the, the reaction was pretty positive, but there were times where it was very negative. And there was one time where I did get into a fight with somebody. Really? Because they would not stop harassing me about it. I was at a bar and they were talking to one of my friends who Mm -hmm. is female, but she's lesbian. She's not interested in men. Okay. And uh, I guess we can pick up on this later. But uh, just finish your thought. What, what, what did what did they say? Um, well, it ended up with me just going outside, trying to cool down because there were. So, I, he said a lot. I see that. It, it okay. Was, okay. Well, I mean, it's an unfortunate uh, situation when people get those kinds of things confused, but it's certainly nothing worth hurting another person over. With Chick Maxson and Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. Stay with us. Uh, when we come back, Chick is actually going to lead the conversation. We're going to talk about stuff to do with electric car charging. So stay with us here on the GBC Happy Hour. Hope you're having a great day. Happy Hour on Gay BC. No agenda, except for that gay one. Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour. Um, and yeah, we are moving on to a different topic, one I'm actually pretty excited about. Um, I have to say, um, I've been kind of lusting over um, these Rivian cars that um, they make trucks and SUVs that look very sexy um, and are electric. And, you know, with the price of gas and emissions and everything, I'm like, hey, well, I don't know. Maybe that's the answer. So, uh, Chick, uh, what's what's new in the world of electric car charging? So, earlier in the month of June, General Motors had announced that they were going to begin a partnership with Tesla to start offering general uh, GM EV cars that will work on Tesla superchargers. Ford had also recently announced that in the month of May. And I think that it's I think that it's a good thing for that standardization of electric cars, you know, for for them to have the same kind of charging port. But at the same time, them partnering with Tesla doesn't seem like the best way to go, even though Tesla does have a good, reliable charging system across the country. They have 12,000 stations. While they are good and they are reliable, there are more stations that accept other vehicles rather than just Teslas. There's 134,000 of the CCS 
charging stations compared to the Tesla charging stations, which only have 12,000. While I think right. that the, I think that the standardization is great. I don't know if them going with the Tesla system is the best way to do it. I don't know. I mean, from what I've seen, Tesla um, has far and away had the most infrastructure laid out in such a way that people can really get place to place virtually anywhere, at least in the footprint of the United States, and I'm sure further abroad as well. Uh, and that's worth something. I mean, even within the other systems, there's not 100% unity in terms of all the other systems that are in place. So um, the one thing where everybody is everywhere, or where, where one thing is at least everywhere uh, in the country, in the United States anyhow, has been Tesla. And I don't see that slowing down. Um, and I see them installed, like in lots of places where I pull into even like public parking space, you know, public parking lots and things like that. So people are going to need to have more and more of, of these services available to them. Uh, you know, I'm not Elon Musk's fan by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I think that Tesla is so much more than Elon Musk. I do think that, you know, just like the VHS and the Betamax, when it came to home video recording, in, you know, in the 1980s, that uh, there's going to end up being one winner. And and I, I, I hate to see it be one particular company, but I do think that they should all get on board in having the same adaptation to their vehicles. This is going to be the same problem with all of these inexpensive but really nice Chinese-made electric vehicles as well. Right. But I think one, you know, one issue, though, that I would, I would say is, like, um, I agree coming up with a standard so that there's sort of interoperability amongst manufacturers is great. And it is true that, you know, Tesla seems like they've come out with a good standard. But, um, you know, I would feel better and it's th there's some rumblings about this but it's you know it, it remains to be seen because you know elon musk is so mercurial if if it were if the standard were turned over to a consortium or some kind of outside agency that were actually to to be the ones to implement the tesla charging system um because you know it it, it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of the charger cable conundrums of cell phones and where they ended up going in Europe. And I think it's, you know, it's going to end up going that way here is that they required, they're requiring all manufacturers to use USB-C because again, that's a kind of a, you know, a standard set up by, you know, a sort of third party consortium. And um, no, there's no one sort of holder of the patents and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think there's, I, I just, I, I'm hesitant because Tesla has such a, or Elon Musk has such a rep, uh, reputation of being a little bit of a brat. Um, you know, uh, P, uh, media requests to Tesla, you know, or Twitter regularly get just back a poop emoji rather than any kind of actual response. Yeah. And so I would hate, you know, when charging stations are 
are kind of all run by Tesla and they aren't working and you try to get someone on the line and all you get is a poop emoji back, um, <laughs> that's not necessarily the greatest. Well, and also right. I would and- I would kick in that on that front that Elon Musk's hold on Tesla because of his stupidity, his petulant uh, behavior and needing to take over Twitter, uh, his holdings are not what they once were uh, in Tesla. And a lot of that wealth was pledged to other people as uh, collateral. So I'm not so sure that he is necessarily going to always be the grand poobah on the on the mm-hmm. Tesla front. Right. But I think with the standardization, there is, again, there is 134,000 of the CCS charging systems throughout the country. And there's only 12,000 of the Tesla ones. Would it not make more sense just to make, to outfit those CCS charging systems that could be mo- they can be made more reliable instead of building however many new Tesla ones. That could be. Um, we'll continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour uh, coming up in. We'll wrap this conversation up in the next segment, but we'll also have an opportunity to hear from a LGBTQ retailer uh, conversation that Richie had. Not that long ago, with uh, with the people who are running a, a retail store up in the Northeast. So stay with us. This is the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Chick Maxson. I'm Johnny Mac. You think these guys aren't interesting enough without you joining the show? You're probably right. 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by right now. Probably. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Um, Hope you're all charged up after that last segment. (laughs) And, um, you know, I I will say um, on that topic, too, I've watched a a, a number of videos of people who have tried to, let's say, travel down the eastern seaboard from Massachusetts to Florida by using public charging stations, non non not Tesla charging stations, and have they've experienced a lot of broken uh broken uh facilities um chargers that were on a map but actually weren't there anymore and so it is a really complicated you know landscape it's not kind of like the petroleum distribution system which you know you just basically drive and then when you need gas you can get it so it is it is a tricky thing that is going to affect sort of the rollout of electrics over the next few years. As I was telling uh, Chick and Richie during the break, a few months ago there was a really fascinating story about a woman and a friend of hers who made a few days round trip from, uh, they had a set period of time they had to do it in, and made a trip from New Orleans to Chicago and back to New Orleans using an electric car. And, uh, And they had all sorts of problems getting i mean there were some places where yeah there were charging stations but they were only open certain hours of the day and and it was really 
pretty strange and they had problems with things working in each and every place so i mean whatever happens we have to have i think the equivalent of like service stations where people can get to it any time of day anywhere and know that they're going to be working pumps so to speak mm-hmm. absolutely jake did you want to finish your thoughts on that yes i i do think that that is important to where if if you're going to buy a car, you should be able to drive it wherever you want. But having one single type of or having one company producing one charging station, I don't think is ideal. I mean, even like Richie, you were mentioning about Rivian earlier. You like the Rivian. They have their own charging stations as well. And they are they are offering their charging stations to other um, to other manufacturers, so that way, pretty much everybody can use them. Uh, sooner or later, they are going to they are working on offering up to ten thousand charging stations for their vehicles and other manufacturers as well. I, so do, I, don't I just see this being a dis- with it being a disaster considering how many um i mean yes we're going to need lots of charging stations but how many vehicles get off the road and go to various places they have been going to based on the price of gasoline generally or the grade of gasoline but electricity is electricity is electricity and um having to find something that works just with your vehicle i know that there's a number of vehicles that are being made where they actually have adapters to work with different types and i think that charging stations should probably have to provide uh adapt adapting for multiple vehicles that are out there at the very least you know at their stations so um i'm sorry go ahead that is and that is a part of the plan with general motors partnering with tesla is they are going to be offering adapters um that way the vehicles built after 2024 can work with the the standard charging system and vehicles built before can work with the tesla with the tesla system Hmm. so they can be interchangeable um richie you had an opportunity recently to talk with some people who run a LGBTQ retail business. Tell us about that. I did. So um, I spoke recently with uh, Andrew Adada, who is one of the uh, co-founders of a store here in Kingston, New York, um, right near where I live. It's actually um, uh, conveniently enough for me, although not for my my wallet, it's about a block from where I work. Uh, it's a store <laughs> called Hamilton and Adams, which is sort of uh, it's clothing and kind of some housewares and, and cosmetics and stuff. Um, and uh, it's, it's sort of very aesthetically, you know, cool shop. They have a great um, web store as well. But um, I was able to to sit down and talk with Andrew and just kind of pick his brains about you know what it's like to run a small business, you know, that is LGBT owned and sort of proudly, uh, you know, puts itself out there as being an LGBTQ uh, owned business. So it was, a, it was a fun chat um, and definitely a great store too. Okay. Well, let's give a listen. So tell me a little bit about Hamilton and Adams. 
Geez, um, a little bit about Hamilton Adams. We are a lifestyle brand based in Kingston, New York. We started in 2017 and were originally um, focused on just men's apparel and accessories. And over the last few years have expanded to do women's, um, some home and some accessories and, and, and a lot of gifts as well. Um, how did you decide to, to start Hamilton and Adams? Yeah. Uh, so um, Hamilton Adams is named after uh, my partner, Clark and I, and he's Clark Hamilton. I'm Andrew Adam. Uh, and we decided to start the business because we were wandering through our neighborhood. It was Small Business Saturday of 2016. We both had corporate gigs um, and had, you know, talked for years about, you know, oh, we're going to open our own business someday. Never having done any more due diligence about what that business might be, where it might be located, what it might be in the business of selling or services or anything like that. And we saw the storefront and Clark, who's definitely risk averse, was like, oh, we should do it. And I'm I'm standing there, you know, it's like this miserable gray upstate New York day in November, just like, you know, it's like 42 and like sort of raining and just, you just want to go home and sit by fire. And he's like, yeah, we should totally open a business. And I'm standing there and I have, I'm, I'm, you know, for anyone who knows me, I'm obviously like super um, um, extroverted and I'm not risk averse at all. And so I'm standing there thinking, you're crazy. We're not <laughs> doing that. But knowing my partner, Mr. Risk averse, Mr. Never wants to say yes and takes a long time to warm up to ideas. I was like, oh, well, wait, this is, this might be my window for like 10 years. Right. It's like, if he's saying yes, then like, that's, that's a, that's the sign. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it was like the store, you know, as a customer, I I hope you, I I feel like you appreciate the aesthetic of our building. You know, it's a, uh, an old 1850s building, which has had many, many lives. When we, um, signed the lease on the original space, it was a carpeted drop ceiling office. There couldn't have been yeah, and next time you come by, I'll have to show you the back room because it still looks like what the whole story, story looks like. Looks like. Um, it couldn't have been any less inspiring <laughs> to to start a brand and open a business. You know, obviously, starting a business is always kind of a, a risk, and always like there's going to be unexpected things. But like, were there, you know, things that either were difficulties that you weren't expecting, or like surprises where you're like, oh wow, I thought that would actually be kind of harder and that kind of fell into place. Things that were harder um, were staffing when we were getting open. So I was, I, you know, the, it, you know, we signed the lease in December, we opened in April, like that getting the store ready really wasn't too bad actually at all, like kind of fell into place. Um, and we worked on the weekends and, you know, figured out how to go and buy product and, you know, figured out how, you know, Shopify and all this stuff, all, all the logistics of getting a business kind of off the ground, um, got, got the business open and I was still working a full-time job in the city. So we were open weekends and we were open then some days we had some friends helping us. We had some hiring. It was just kind of that first 12 months, quite honestly, was the hardest 12 months of, of my life professionally. Um, you know, working every weekend, going back to the, to the city, to a job that was nice, but not what I was interested in doing anymore. Um, and you know, we finally got to a point where 
we had, you know, 12 months in, we were having more staffing issues and it was like, okay, you know what? This is the universe telling us that I'm going to quit my job literally today. Um, and, uh, and this is, you know, we were doing well enough that we just needed to really go all in on it. So one of the things, um, that I, I find really cool about Hamilton Adams is there is this definite kind of an aesthetic. I'm just curious, you know, when you were starting out, um, you know, how did you kind of define the Hamilton and Adams aesthetic, you know, from the get-go? Uh, I mean, it's it's really nothing more than like what I wear it. Mm-hmm. Like when we first started, it was, and this is, this is, this is a perfect example of like, when you start a small business, you're like, oh, I'm putting that order for the, for those clothes on my personal credit card right now. And if they don't sell, I better like all of them. Cause the mediums are going to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like it was really like when we first opened, it was like, oh yeah, no, I literally like everything in here. And that makes it easier to sell too. You know, um, we had been living in the area five-ish years before we opened the store, um, just part-time, but I'm from upstate New York. I, you know, I grew up in Buffalo. I went to school in Alfred. I went to school in Ithaca. Like, you know, there's an aesthetic for upstate New York, similar to, you know, other parts of the country have their own vibe, right? Like California, coastal California absolutely has its own vibe, right? You know, Texas sort of has its own vibe um, from an apparel perspective. Um, Florida, same thing, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, the coastal south does, northeast prep does as well. And upstate New York is a little bit of all of that almost. Um, so I just kind of went with that to see our customer base accepted that. And that was really the right vein. You know, there's not enough folks around looking for dressy products um you know if you know it's just there's just not enough customers for that do you find over time that like as your own personal tastes evolve that it kind of evolves things that you're thinking about for the shop a hundred percent you know my i'm not an early adopter in fashion and i don't think that our business is a fashion business i think we sell products and, 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 and an aesthetic that is very accessible, um, to the majority of the population. Um, but I'm interested in different things and I, you know, I see what some other people might be wearing and I'm like, Oh, I want to try that. And I often will, will wear test things or wear test styles and think, okay, yeah, this is good for us and we should do this. You know, also being in a small, small market, like stuff that we carried five years ago, Everybody in our community has that. <laughs> so if we want to keep growing sales, it's like, okay, well, we need to move on from those, you know, that blue button down from that one brand, you know, like, okay, what's, what's next? That's a really interesting point because I do see that there's a little bit of like a threading the needle because, um, because like you said, you know, where we're at geographically, like it might not be three inch inseam shorts, up right. here, but it might right. be five inch inseam, which is different than two years ago. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cause two years ago I was like, no, we need some seven inch. And now I'm like, oh, we really need a bunch of five inch as well. But still then, you know, like we maybe 30 ish something percent of our customers gay. I don't know. It's really changed over since COVID. And I have kind of a hard time pinpointing. It definitely used to be more, our overall business has grown so much. So I think that that percentage has been diluted a little bit. I don't think um, we have less of that, the community shopping with us. I just think it's been diluted. Um, Yeah. You know, like again, so we're in Kingston. So a three inch short, 
probably not going to, I don't, we don't have enough of those customers for me to be all in on that. Right. But a bunch of five, cute five inch ones. Yeah. We're totally there. Yeah. And so you kind of bring up um, a point that, you know, uh, I think is, you know, for the, especially for the happy hour is, is an interesting and salient point, which is what's been your experience, you know, specifically as a, you know, as a gay business owner, has there been anything that's been um, surprising to you, um, whether positive or negative about, um, you know, kind of running a business that's sort of openly a gay owned business? I think the biggest surprise is that there haven't been any surprises, any negative surprises. Our entire community of everyone, gay, straight, or however you identify, has welcomed us to the to the community. You've been in the store when it's busy. There's all kinds. It's literally like a melting pot, you know. Um, and I and I feel like we create an environment where everyone feels safe and welcome to shop. And yeah, it was a really great conversation uh, with Andrew. And, um, you know, I, I do want to reiterate, uh, you know, if you're interested to check it out, uh, you can Google Hamilton and Adams. They have a great web store. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was good to to, to hear from a, a, a gay small business owner and sort of find out what uh, what makes things tick on that end. Indeed. And we want to support LGBTQ businesses. So we'll continue to profile others throughout our program in the weeks and months to come. Hope you'll check them out online. Uh, Hamilton and Adams. Coming up on the GBC Happy Hour. This is definitely a Richie topic. The best breakfast cereals. Now, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to call in because we had to pre-record today's show. But I think we'll probably find enough to talk about between Chick and Richie and myself that you'll feel satiated. Stay with us. Come on, turn that frown upside down. It's the happy hour on KBC. And welcome back to the happy hour. I'm Count Chocula. I'm here with uh, Booberry. And uh, <laughs> um, no, in, in all seriousness, I'm here with Johnny Mac and Chick Maxson. And uh, Johnny was not wrong. Um, this is a, a longstanding uh, topic of interest for me. I, I full disclosure uh, in in junior high, I believe, and and through high school, before there was the there before there was the World Wide Web, there was something called Usenet, which was a text based community group sort of uh, chat room situation. And I was very active in alt.fan.serial, which was a discussion group about all things serial. And so I thought, um, you know, what better topic? Um, to, to talk about in the happy hour than uh, than the best and we could also talk about worst cereals out there. Uh, it's something that's both very subjective but also um, is subject to very strong opinions. So um, let's start with Chick. Chick, what's what's your go-to? What's what what's on in your pantheon of cereals? 
Uh, um, my number one would have to be Honey Bunches of Oats, or as you previously have called them, Honey Bunches of Crack. Yeah. Now, you know, they've they, they've expanded it. It's now not only just a cereal, it's a universe of cereals. Do you have a particular um, honey bunches that that you that you go towards like the classic, the almond or one of the kind of more baroque varieties that they've spawned over the in, in intervening years? Um, I like the almond one. I, to me, the almond one was kind of like the, the original one, the OG yeah the almond the the blue it's the blue package yes. the blue the blue yes. the sort of donut blue donut on it yeah that it's hard to go wrong with that cereal um they they did strike gold with honey bunches of oats with almonds for sure <laughs> uh johnny what about you well it's been an evolution for me as i'm sure it has for most people um i am diabetic so i have to be very careful about what i have and unfortunately, most breakfast cereals are chock full of sugar. So I even even things like Cheerios, which you think are like really healthy for you, um, not so much because of the the sugars and the grams of uh, carbohydrates in a lot of these breakfast cereals. So um, I eat two-thirds of a cup of this product that they sell at Costco now. Um, so when I do have breakfast cereal, it's pump, uh, pumpkin seed and flax granola. And um, and it's okay. I mean, I, I like it. There's another one that they have that's a, um, kind of a, a companion version uh, of it that I get to, to mix it up every once in a while. But as a kid... I had a lot of favorites, you know. I was the one who always wanted to buy that box or that those collections of all the little tiny boxes of Kellogg cereals mm -hmm. because I liked so many of them that you know, um, you know. I of course I loved Raisin Bran, but I also you know was a good kid and I liked Fruit Loops and Lucky Charms, all these other things that were out there, but that today uh, would be literally poison for me to pour down my my gullet so uh yeah i'm i try and actually not have breakfast cereal too much just because they all have all that sugar i mean i do like i do like a granola i have to say and and that's where it gets a little harder um to like because i i've noticed that in the granola space um uh, it tends to be a lot more um i mean nature's path which you had mentioned the one from costco is, is nationally found but there are a lot of regional granolas like yeah. I, I buy a granola that's made up here you know in i think it's made in kingston um and it's fantastic and extremely like ridiculously expensive because granola tends to be pricey um but some of them you know like the, you mentioned the pumpkin and flax and stuff um you know at some point i think they just put they just slap a new label on a, a bag of bird seed because you know when we're getting into the flax and the millet and everything uh, you know, that that's just bird seed, frankly. <laughs> you know, about four or five years ago, I had uh, part of my business that I owned was in the video production space. And our company was hired to go in to a food production company here in our region 
and to do a, about a 15-minute video that showed from start to finish all the different jobs that somebody had to do in just their one job uh, working at this company. And it was for a um, major food producer um, that was... Uh, I probably shouldn't say the name of it because they made us sign all these non-disclosures and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But they have the original, uh, they bought, and it was based at this place out in, uh, out in the eastern Coachella Valley. They have the original puffing machine that did like those corn puffs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so they make a lot of those cereals there. And it was really interesting to watch this process, you know, because we had to show everything along the chain of production uh, and all that, but uh, I couldn't eat any of their cereal. There was boxes and boxes, and it looked so delicious, but I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, that corn stuff, it's going to wash me away. Yeah, you know, it, it is It is interesting. You know, when I think about puffed things, um, you know, my mind goes immediately to Kashi. So, like, Kashi is a brand that they, they can puff almost anything. That was um, made there. <laughs> Kashi was one of the brands that they made. Yeah, uh, they make they puff a lot of things over there at Kashi, but um, but uh, yeah, um, it is interesting because um, cereal actually um, to kind of to go back to a subject that's sort of a little bit related to some of the other things we talk about has sort of a weird history. Um, you know, when you look back at, at Kellogg, um, you know, he was ran, running sanitariums um, and the original. Uh, recipes for things like cornflakes, um, it was meant to be a very bland, easy to digest food that was supposed to keep people's sanity in check. Um, he also happened to be uh, a very um, full-throated uh, um, advocate for circumcision, uh, which he also thought would um, you know, stem the libido of, 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 you know, fired up young men. So, um, you know, and post, I believe was actually had spent a stint in the Kellogg sanitarium and then came out with some rival products like grape nuts, which I think is actually a fantastic cereal. I have but, to um, say that grape nuts has the most memorable for me as a child television commercial ever they had a spokesperson his name was yule gibbons and he'd stand outside and he had a uh, like an evergreen uh, pine tree uh, uh, stem or, or branch and he'd be like ever eaten uh, ever eaten uh, a pine tree many parts are edible and it was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grape nuts was one of those um, one of those cereals that growing up um, seemed like a really like a punishment, like a it was like a terrible uh, you know thing that bef I loved it. you if grape grape nuts were but but growing but now I love it and part of why I love it is it is really quite salty um, and you know as the the older I get my my ability to consume salt seems to just kind of go exponentially upward. So a salty cereal, like kind of that malty, salty, nutty flavor, I'm all for it. You know, yeah. Um, my maternal grandmother used to eat it every day, and I only had it when I went to her house. And you know, you didn't have to have much because it you know it was very dense, but it's, it's nutritionally dense. Yeah, but. You know, I liked it. I came to like it at first. No, not so much as a kid, but you know, in the end. Yeah, for me, I, you know, I, 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 
Oh, go ahead, check. <laughs> I've only ever had it twice, I think. But the only thing that I learned from grape nuts is that it does. If you let it dry on the bowl, it does become the hardest substance known to mankind. <laughs> oh yeah, they they use that they, they <laughs> use that to make the ceramic tiles on the space shuttle, I believe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that as a kid, probably my hands down favorite sugary cereal. Uh, it would come down to two of them: uh, frosted uh, corn or frosted flakes, and um, Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks were the yes. Now that's interesting. Uh, Apple Jacks is that is a, a polarizing choice for sure. I'm anti-Apple <laughs> Jacks. Why? But, um, I know a lot of people are very into them. You're from um, the I big the Apple. Apple How can you say like, that? They don't taste like apples. <laughs> like it's an interesting thing, but um, yeah, I I have to say. The one I, I tend to gravitate towards is Golden Grams. Um, I think that that's a fantastic cereal. Yeah, um, you probably like to yeah, eat again. s'mores, dude. Oh, I mean, they actually have, they make a sort of s'more-type product out of Golden Grams that you can buy at the gas station. And yes, I have bought that many times. <laughs> okay, I'll stick with my Apple Jacks. Tasteless as they may be. Well, listen, in the hour ahead... <laughs> We're going to have fun with a person who's making a return visit from one of our test broadcasts that we did before we started this series of GBC Happy Hour. We're going to be joined by the man who was the founder of Digital Queers. He was the uh, founder of another thing that I think most people who were around, uh, at least by that time, um, will remember called Planet Out. He's also... uh, member of the team at the TED Conferences organization. We're going to be joined by Tom Riley here in studio, and he's going to hang out. We're going to talk about entertainment stuff and technology stuff and have a great time in our second hour today. Stay with us here on the GBC Happy Hour. Happy Hour with Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mac. These homosexuals are scheming for world domination. Good grief. What is it with every talk show host thinking they should run the planet? Anywho, back to the GBC Happy Hour. Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for hanging out with us in the Happy Hour. And today we've got another, uh, we've got a guest in the clubhouse. Uh, Tom Riley is joining us and uh, and we've got a whole slate of topics uh, to go over. So uh, let's get to it. We do. And Richie, uh, Tom was just telling me during our last break that he'd like to jump in before we completely close the door on the cereal discussion. He wants to <laughs> jump into the fray. So funny, uh, I was going to say Apple Jacks as well, and I, I, I once I ate Golden Grams to such extent that I had to, uh, let's just say they involuntarily returned, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and then on the Apple Jacks box, there's this famous disclaimer that says, contains no apples. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right, it, it, it did not taste good. And what was really funny uh, to me is that Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, and Booberry, Count Chocula, you know, uh, 
Fra- Frank Frankenberry, all those, they would be good for like the first six bowls, and then they would become completely disgusting. And then you'd have to wait for a while, and then you could go back again and have them again, and then they would reach saturation. So one final thing, Mr. Kellogg, who invented cornflakes, he actually made them to have the same effect as saltpeter. He wanted to repress the erections and sex drives of men. And, uh, of course, it absolutely didn't work at all. But, <laughs> but he th- that's what he thought. That was his original intent because he was very Christian, as you know, and he wanted to uh, help you know, bring people in line with the dictates of the church, not really helping with the procreation, of course. Right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, in, it's funny uh, that you mentioned the um, with the booberry and the Count Chocula and stuff, um, because I had that exact thing happen with there's a new there's a new game in town. There's this, a brand of cereal called Magic Spoon, which makes a cereal that is sort of um, keto friendly. Um, you know, it has no grain. It has no you know, gluten. I don't know what it's made out of. It's made out of, you know, magic dust and, you know, styrofoam ground, ground up unicorn horns or something. (laughs) But, um, it, uh, I bought some and, uh, cause I was doing strict keto at the time. And the first few bowls, I was like, this is amazing. It tastes just like real cereal. It's, it's delicious. It's great. And then I, I, hit this uncanny valley where suddenly it didn't it didn't register as real food anymore for me and i couldn't eat it anymore yeah yep that's that's the effect well (laughs) as i mentioned before we went into uh, our last break tom who has been with us previously when we were doing a couple of the test runs for the kbc happy hour um is back visiting with us and he has a huge history in working in the uh, technology field and being an LGBTQ plus uh, activist and uh, community builder and uh, getting an opportunity to work very closely with some of the world's greatest minds uh, at the TED conferences organization. He created the uh, the TED Fellows program there and we're always pleased to have him uh, come and join us in the studio. But uh, in my 30 plus years of friendship with Tom, uh, I have also come to know that he is a, uh, a true uh, film and uh, streaming fan and technology-oriented uh, person, so we thought we would bring him in and have some conversations around that and also just talk with him about some of the stories that are affecting our community. I want to invite you, um, actually, to jump in, Tom, uh, with something you brought up to me when you walked in the studio that you said you wanted to to mention. There was a news story uh, in particular that you had in mind, and uh, it wasn't on our agenda today, so I'll let you just bring it up. So you've all heard about the book banning, in mostly in the South, mostly related to uh, African-American books and LGBTQ plus books. But the other thing that's happening is school plays have become a battleground and the reasons why the parents don't want these plays performed is are are insane they're they're absolutely insane and if you're a high school uh drama teacher and you pick the wrong play you could get fired and uh or the administration can come down on your head and and for reasons like the play contains the word damn you know, I mean, that that's like the 1940s. 
it, we're just going backwards so fast. So let me give you just some quick, crazy examples. Um, they don't want to do the prom, which is a high school friendly uh, play, if there ever was one, because the lead character is a lesbian. They don't want uh, on the left, on the left, not just the right hand, but on the, the left, people are objecting to South Pacific, thoroughly modern Millie, and also how to succeed in business without really trying, and Bye Bye Birdie, and Greece, because they all have sort of antiquated depictions of, you know, women and ethnic groups. Uh, and on the, <laughs> it just makes me laugh so far. Um, so you can't do Mean Girls, the musical, because there's bullying, <laughs> and uh, and you can't you do Oklahoma because it has the word damn or bastards in Newsies, which is like the most high school friendly musical possible. And also because there's usually not enough boys in the drama program. So they need to put girls dressed as the boys in Newsies. But now dressing up as the other gender is totally fraught and you can't do it. Whereas girls, it, when I was in high school, girls dressing up as boys to make extra boys in the play is, you know, every single play. Right. Right. And so it's just like ridiculous. And then the thing that makes me the most both laughed so hard, but also the most horrified is I'm sure many of our listeners know that uh, August Wilson is the foremost African-American playwright in America. And he wrote a book called Fences, a, a play called Fences, which is made into a movie with uh, Denzel Washington. And <laughs> they're not allowed to do this play, which of course is an all African-American cast because there's no white people in it. <laughs> just, just like that. That's is, absurd. That is completely insane. And the, the, the thing is, is they don't even get it. So you heard about the the incredible animated uh, or graphic novel Mouse being banned by Art Spiegelman's book being banned because there was pictures of nudity. These are dead bodies of mice, not no people. Uh, but they get so literal, and they they just completely miss the point of all of these plays. And and of course, high school drama is important because if you're a little queer boy or little lesbian or bisexual transgender person the theater is maybe your only refuge it was my refuge when i was in high school so i i find this terribly sad and terribly funny because it's so sad and i also feel bad for the teachers you know the drama teachers and i feel bad for the students who want to put these plays on and i also feel bad for the people in the community who would benefit from seeing musicals and plays that actually have ideas okay End right. of rant. Well, and that takes us back, actually, to something that Richie opened the show with, uh, which was us talking about how important it was for people to consider um, getting involved in their communities to the extent of maybe even running for school boards, because that's where a lot of this um, mostly right-wing psychobabble begins. And it's it's like a dominoes of pressure. So this apparent sometimes backed by these groups that are going around and deliberately trying to get books banned, complains, and then that goes to the school board, and that goes to the superintendent, and then that goes to the, the principal, and then that goes to the teacher. And if they don't do what the school board wants them to do, they're out. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, it's, and part of it, too, is, um, you know, there's this because of um, you know, especially um, around issues of both racial justice and LGBTQ issues, this kind of hyper trophy language on the right about 
basically sort of um, you know the, the 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 pot calling the kettle a snowflake um, is that you have you know sometimes a single parent will you know who you know you know read something on a Reddit forum somewhere um, you know will contact a school. And they'll take, you know, they'll take a whole tranche of books off the shelf. They will, you know, scrap a play. They'll do it, it, the threshold for, you know, outrage because of social media kind of allowing things to go viral. Everyone's so afraid that they're they just kind of err on the side of of caution to the point of of just you know idiocy and kind of banality. Well, the the schools are afraid. The the uh, I tell you, the parents think they're doing God's work. And in in fact, there are organized efforts uh, funded by right wing monies to put people up to it in various school district and get this going. In fact, uh, when when grilled on you know wh- why the by the way the Bible has been banned in two different school districts in the South, like what uh, the people a lot of times as you said they read it on Reddit they didn't even read the book that they're protesting and they lie. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of Heartstopper, right? Which yeah. season two, one month from now, August 3rd, uh, <laughs> the, uh, unbelievably it was, bro- it was banned. And, and they said, because junior high school boys were having oral sex in the bathroom. Well, first of all, there are no people from junior high in the book and there is no sex in the book. And so they just made it up. And what's amazing to me is these local papers, which are owned by conglomerates of uh, this one guy in particular who's super right-wing Christian. No, I'm not trying to offend Christians. I'm only the extreme ones that are crazy. Uh, she just printed it. You know, this yeah. woman said it in a, in a school board. They didn't open the book and say, well, you know, actually this isn't here. And that's, that's what's so dangerous is that the, it's so credulous. It's so easy, as you just said, for one parent or a couple of parents to take away the choices of kids, which is terrible. Right. And what we've, and what we've learned about, you know, sort of, um, psychology, you know, with things like, you know, anchoring biases is that, um, you know, you get something like that printed, um, you know, or, you know, run with, and, um, there's a certain segment of the population that that is just true going forward. You know, you could say, you know, look, I, I'm the author of the book. There's no sex in the book. There's not, you know, and they'll say, well, you know, I heard it. And, you know, it's just, you know, I've, I've heard from several sources. It that must be because it book, came out of the speakers and it was on the TV. Right. right. I don't mean to be like super depressing, um, but it is. I just read this article today and I just I'm just I'm obsessed with this issue of book banning and now play banning because it reminds me of the 50s it reminds me of joseph mccarthy i wasn't alive re- listeners in the <laughs> 50s but but it reminds it just reminds me of history and you know it also reminds me of nazis it reminds me of nazis burning books yeah um and it really happened and it, you know it seems like every time you make forward every time you make forward progress there's a backlash and we're in the middle of a major backlash obviously yeah and it also kind of comes um, like you said, oops, there's Richie. Make- so, you know, I'm sorry, we lost you the there for just a second, Richie. Go ahead again. Oh, um, is that it, it is coming, you know, it comes from a lot of different sources because there's also, um, you know, there's the term bodlerization. Um, when you take a book and you take out the stuff that was objectionable, and there's been kind of a move towards doing 
abridgments or edit slight edits to books that people want, you know, sort of for instance, roll dolls books. Um, you know, there was a, a, a move by the publisher um, to take out certain words, uh, you know, that might be objectionable, like describing someone as fat, um, you know, Enormous or was someone being, uh, I mean like the, uh, yeah. the it was blueberry a, it, girl and it, no, Charlie it was, and the it was Augustus Becker. Gloop. You guys remember the chocolate pig who gets sucked up the pipe he couldn't be called fat so they they they, they use the word enormous i'm like why is that different right <laughs> but you're right um, but you know you're totally right it does it does have just echoes of kind of um of just of, of ch- sort of chilling thought and expression um you know whether it's coming from you know the bodlerizing forces you know who want to sort of take out anything take all the edges off of everything or these kind of you know kind of right-wing astroturfed parents who are getting books and plays out of schools um is you know at, at what at some point um it, the world becomes so bland and so colorless because anything of substance has been deemed to be not, you know, appropriate. And so it it is kind of a scary, it's kind of a scary moment to see this happening. And it's happened before, like you said, you know, McCarthy. And even when I was in school, there was a big satanic panic. And so there were a lot of uh, moves to get certain books out of the schools because they thought that witches, you know, were sort of, uh, you know, and secret symbols of, you know, like the PNG logo having, you know, a certain number of stars and all this kind of stuff. So well, John was a high, we- a high witch. Yeah, it, it wasn't widely known, but he was pretty much controlling the entire witch network in the United States. Yeah, that 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 was me. <laughs> well, you know, we've come a long way. I mean, from you know uh, that kind of panic to you know devil panic to you know now it's just gay and trans panic. It's interesting. Right. You, if you look at when we were kids, how many books published about queer subjects, especially for children, YA books, for example, uh, there are very few, very vanishingly few. And now there's kind of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So it's in some ways, all of this is a backlash to the tremendous power of publishing and the fact that authors and publishers did put out all these queer books and, uh, you know, as far as these parents would go and some of these uh, right-wing leaders, they'd like to go back to the point when there was, you know, maybe two gay books and we could hide them in the back shelf of the library. And so it, in some ways, it's a reaction to tremendous success. And the thing that makes me joyous is because I've done a lot of work with young people, is that they're, if they're, you know, young, queer, questioning, there are many, many resources now. And for me, there was squat. There was no internet. There were no books about being queer. I had to figure it out for myself, and it took a lot longer than it would have taken, and I would have been, you know, having some more fun earlier. Right. (laughs) Well, Tom Riley is our guest, and we're glad that you have chosen to be with us again on this edition of the GBC Happy Hour. I'm here with my friends... Richie Roy and Chick Maxson. I'm Johnny Mack. And when we continue with more of the program, we're going to be joined, uh, or not joined, Tom is here already having joined us, but we're going to talk about uh, film in this current season of summer and what's out there and what you should watch and what you shouldn't watch, what you might want to watch. We'll talk about that and streaming and more as we continue right here. Stay with us, gbc.com. 
The Happy Hour, where the drinks are half price, the snacks are complimentary, and the hosts just won't shut up. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Happy Hour. We are here with our guest, Tom Riley, and my co-host, Johnny Mack and Chick Maxson. Hey, guys. And uh, we are going to talk about... Uh, moving pictures, as they call them, as the kids are calling them these days, uh, yeah. whether on streaming services or at you know the the cinema, if if you still go to those. Um, and I know there's at least one movie that I'm excited to talk about, but we can we can get to that later. <laughs> okay. Well, um, which one? Which one? <laughs> oh, uh, the Barbie movie. Oh, of, of course. I was going to mention the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like the Barbie movie is going to be kind of the padam padam of this year's, uh, you know, movie offerings. Uh, <laughs> it's genius. It's, you guys have everywhere. seen the long trailer, right? The the, the newer trailer. I, I can't watch this movie. It's, <laughs> it's not it, going to happen for it's me. It's directed by a very highbrow director, Greta Gerwig, who was an actor before that. She's married to Noah Birnbach. She made the movie Francis Ha, and she's just gotten booked to direct the remake of The Chronicles of Narnia as a series. I think it's a series. Yeah, uh, no, it's it's so diabolically clever. It's it's totally in on its own joke. It's not serious at all. It's so arch. I, I don't know. Have you seen the trailer? Right. I have not. Have you? It's Richie? really. It is. It's very. It, it just. It kind of. I'm glad it took this long for them to make a Barbie movie because there's so many ways that it could go wrong, but it's so pitch perfectly self-referential. The art direction is just like killer. Um, and it just like, and it's also perfectly poised to be this kind of social media confection, you know, just that every. Richie, are you in a the multitude of Ken's, the multitude of Barbies, it kind of, Sorry. I think Richie <laughs> is in another one of those storms. Well, until you come back, I can tell you it stars Margot Robbie as Barbie, and it stars um, Ryan Gosling as Ken, and it has uh, Shimu Lee in it from, uh, what is that Marvel film that's amazing? Uh, I'll think about it in a second. Uh, and it basically, the idea is that all these Barbies and Kens live in this perfect Barbie universe where everything is pink, everything is perfect, everything is clean. All the women's feet are angled up like a Barbie. And uh, and then all of a sudden, they're forced to con- confront the real world. And, ah. and Barbie and Ken go on a road trip to try to do something uh, that they have to do to get in the real world to get back and save Barbie land. And in this real world, do they encounter guys like me and Chick? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, they, all Chick. Are you going to see this film? <laughs> um, no, and up until up until Tom uh, just described that, I did not know what the movie was about. <laughs> well, there are a lot of like made for direct to video kids versions of Barbies with the cheapest animation possible, but I've never seen one. That's for little girls for the most part, and little boys like us. <laughs> uh, but the movie, the produ- as 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 Richie said, the production values are insane and and also it has an incredible soundtrack as well i i thought i would never see this movie until i saw the trailer and then i'm like i'm absolutely going to be there on the first weekend for sure and when is that when does it come out Uh, a couple weeks okay and um richie did you have anything else to say about this except that i'm sorry 
<laughs> no, I mean, I, I will not apologize for the Barbie movie. I'm psyched about it. There was a funny story that um, a, a crazy conservative pastor, uh, I believe, from the pulpit, asked God to smite the movie because it has transsexuals somehow. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Well, oh, that's, yeah. see, that's that's so good for the movie's publicity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I saw that uh, story as well. Right. And um, I don't know. Uh, it was, uh, oh, and catch this. The name of that preacher um, is Kent Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so original. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's asked God to, quote, Lose, loose a holy judgment on the live-action Barbie film. You remember <laughs> Jake Busey in the movie Contact with the long blonde wig who blows up the gantry oh, yeah. as they're about to launch. That's probably his son. Yeah, uh, Preacher Man Christmas <laughs> says that it's because it is allegedly, quote, full of transsexual and transgender and homosexuality. Excellent. Uh, yeah, he's from Tennessee, which is not a big surprise. He says, I curse in the name of the Lord this new Barbie movie that has been released full of transsexual and transgender and homosexuality in the name of the Lord. May God loose a judge. May God loose a holy judgment. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it. So a couple other things I'm excited about. Well, first of all, Indiana Jones is a mixed bag. Parts of it are genius and parts of it are slow. Uh, it didn't really need to exist, but parts of it are extremely fun. But it's two hours and 20 minutes, which is 20 to 25 minutes longer than any other Indiana Jones film. But it's got some witty stuff. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is the star of Fleabag, is the f uh, feminine lead, and she's great. And she while last week... Uh it did lead the box office. It only had a paltry uh, 60, 65 million, I think, in ticket sales. And that was, I think, a bit of a shocker for them because they spent like $245 million, I think I read, on that film. I mean, eventually it will make at least a little money, but you're right. Way, way, I think people have Indiana Jones fatigue, but also when you've been off the market for nine years since Crystal Skull... People forget about it, even if it's Indiana Jones. Like you and I, all of us, our age, we grew up with this, so we're going to remember. Yeah. We'll talk some more about film and streaming with Tom Riley, our guest, and Richie Roy, and Chick Maxson, and myself, Johnny Mack, with you here on the GBC Happy Hour. Stay with us. More to come. think these guys aren't interesting enough without you joining the show you're probably right 
760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by right now. Probably. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Um, I'm Ken. I'm here with uh, with our guest, Tom Riley, uh, and co-host Johnny Mac and Chick Maxson. And we are talking about film and streaming and stuff. And uh, Tom, what else is on your uh, on your plate where uh, filmed entertainment goes? Well, I'm really looking forward to Chris Nolan's new film, uh, Oppenheimer, which is about Robert Oppenheimer, the man who led the Manhattan Project, the effort to build an atomic bomb to try to bring a, bring about uh, an earlier end to World War II. And as you know, the bombs that he created, two of them were dropped on Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. And they're brutal. You know, from today's lens, you could say they were war crimes, uh, but they did get the emperor to, you know, surrender. It's a very complicated, you know, morally, politically, ethically story, but this is really the adventure story about how did he put this group together in the middle of nowhere under total secrecy where nobody could leave the compound. They brought their wives and kids so they wouldn't go crazy. Of course, it was all boys at the time working on this. And Cillian Murphy, the I believe he's Irish actor, uh, plays Robert Oppenheimer. And, you know, Chris Nolan is fanatical about film quality. So the whole movie is filmed on actual film, not digital. And it's filmed on IMAX cameras, which have a negative that's four times as big as regular uh, film cameras. And, of course, it will be all in IMAX and remix within an inch of your life. This is a movie worth seeing in an IMAX theater. Okay. Yeah, and I I think I read somewhere that um you know they're they're having to come out with like something like you know 130 different prints because you know in order to have the best fidelity depending on whether the the place has a 70 millimeter regular projector an IMAX um, 35 you know different uh, you know DLPs and stuff um, that they're they're trying to nail the the actual physical product um you know to the to a t so it should look fantastic you know on that big screen exactly so what is the most memorable the best tv theme song in the history of television written by lalo schifrin for a tv series called mission impossible and the original black and white series if you've never seen it i highly recommend you can find it do you guys all know about justwatch.com it's an incredibly useful resource it tells you where everything is playing and streaming and it has everything listed, and I use it all the time to like find something obscure. But anyway, I, I don't think it's obscure. I think it's easy to find. And the new movie with Tom Cruise, if you hate Tom Cruise, then forget it. But it, he does make a good... The Mission Impossible is his one franchise you can say is you know, mostly decent. And I watched this 20-minute documentary about the making of the biggest stunt in the movie. And of course, he really does it. And it involves a motorcycle, and it involves a parachute, and... It uh, it's <laughs> totally insane. Um, so I might see it just just for fun. I'm not. I haven't seen. I haven't seen all of them. It's sort of more of like when do I run into them? But uh, it's got good notices. So we'll see. We'll see. Hmm. But there's a couple of other things on streaming that I think you should look at. Uh, have you ever seen oh, Laverne and Shirley? Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, okay, I just was wondering because you said something about greatest theme from TV shows ever. And sorry. Yeah. Mission Impossible just totally wins. <laughs> I apologize, but that's the way I feel. 
Um, yeah, so on Netflix, there's this new animated uh, movie called Nimona that was almost canceled several times because of its queer content. And it's an adventure story in the sort of queer cinema world. Um, it's uh, got a good, you know, got a good rep and I can't wait to see it. And it's on Netflix. It's open today. Um, uh, so I, I recommend that you check that out. And then if you haven't seen Queen Charlotte, um, which is a spin out from Bridgerton, it has the hottest man on television right now. This naming Corey Mycrest. And I have very high standards. After all, you know how much I like uh, Kit Connor. Uh, this boy is even better looking. And uh, <laughs> and then the show is very dishy and has lots of bisexuality. And Corey, the star, who's really gorgeous, as I mentioned, he moved in with his co-star, Freddie. Um, and then all these girls I know, like, oh, no, no, he has a girlfriend. I was like Googling around, doesn't want to talk about his personal life. And I think that he just like matter factly came out. Uh, and so I- anyway, I, I, I highly recommend it. The original Bridgerton's good as well but this one is shorter you don't have to make as big of a commitment and, and what's it called again uh queen charlotte queen charlotte it's based on an actual historical figure okay but who wasn't as good looking as he is mm. <laughs> if that makes any sense um yeah i also just wanted to give people if you want an alternative to all these big blockbusters and netflix and stuff there's another way you can look at movies that's really worth considering and that's the criterion collection it's criterionchannel.com criterionchannel.com it's 99 bucks a year and i think you can also pay 12 bucks a month and it has every classic movie from the big directors like Truffaut and uh, kurosawa and fellini and bergman but also a lot of contemporary independent cinema and uh and then they constantly doing programming so there's always a gay uh, cluster of films uh, you know and there, there's like film noir and Preston Sturges and all this stuff and if you, you know I, I have some friends like our friend Mr. Friend Mr. Corey who will not watch a black and white movie because it's black and white which makes no sense whatsoever Corey Johnson or at least th- th- it's probably maybe it's changed but this is when he was 17 this was his opinion oh, okay known him a long time anyway uh I didn't like them either till I was 50 Right. Well, you know, Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons. So you can just watch anything and it's going to be great. And it's, 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 you know, quality food. I would say it's like a uh, organic uh, farmer's market apple as opposed to Apple Jacks, which is what most of the other films are. <laughs> okay. Um, you don't recommend waiting for colorization. <laughs> I am not a big God. fan of colorization. <laughs> you can imagine. They're not all black and white. Most of, most of the films are color. Um, and just, how about their collection of LGBTQ film? I mean, that's one of the things that's so disappointing for me about, like, Prime. Uh, it seems like all this stuff that's LGBTQ there, for the, for the most part, is just junk. W- right. There's a programming philosophy in streaming services uh, and also used to be in, you know, uh, video s- rental stores, which is you get like two A titles, three B titles, and then the rest of it is D. And I would say Amazon Prime is almost all D and F titles, like yeah. basically bad stuff from a f- from a film festival that they were able to get for cheap, and they're embarrassingly bad. Yeah, Criterion on the other hand has the world's best queer movies, but also queer 
like movies with queer content in them. So yeah, no, as I said, there's, there's always at least some collection of queer films, which is like yeah. 20, 20 films curated around, like there was queer horror. And so they had Bride of Frankenstein and they had um, regular Frankenstein. Frank, Bride of Frankenstein is the queerest movie ever. Um, and then they have things like La Cacho Fall and, I yes, always queer films. Let me ask you this: This was in the news just in the last couple of weeks. Um, Turner Classic Movies was going to shut down. Yeah, and then there were some pretty big big shots in Hollywood who said, "No, no, 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 no. we can't lose those classic movies on this channel," and they got involved. What did you think about that? So here's what happened: David Zaslav, who is the founder and CEO of Discovery Channel, bought. HBO bought Time Warner's movie division, Warner Brothers, basically, in a leverage buyout, took on all this debt, and they'll go out of business unless he just gets pays down the debt. So he's trying to do everything he can to cancel stuff. Yeah. So they 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 were going to do CNN, uh, you know, streaming service the day before it was supposed to announce that they kill it. So in this case, um, Turner Classic Movies is adored by film lovers because there's no commercials. It's things are introduced by Ben Mankiewicz, who's the great grandson of Joseph Mankiewicz who wrote Citizen Kane. Not that I know anything about this stuff. Uh, and b- basically the, he decided, you know, the numbers are low. I mean, had an incredibly fanatical audience mm-hmm. that came back again and again and again. And Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and Paul Thomas Anderson kind of realized, you know, this would be really bad if this went away because this is where we watch films. Uh, and so they went to Zaslav and they basically used their bully pulpit, like being the most successful and esteemed filmmakers in the world, and said, uh, "Let's. What, what can we do to keep this on? And so basically they agreed to help in programming and publicity if they kept it on the air. And so because of the clout of these esteemed filmmakers, it is going to stay on the air. And if you've never seen TCM, that shows a lot of movies that are on the Criterion uh, collection, but like classic Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movies like Adam's mm-hmm. Rib and Death Set that are hilarious, or The Philadelphia Story. Uh, and because of where Warner came from, it has the license to all kinds of insane content without them having to pay royalties. So anyway, TCM is well worth checking out, just like Criterion uh, Collection, CriterionChannel.com, as alternatives to the numbing, bash your head in blockbusters that is mostly what we have in the movie theaters now. Mm. Right. I don't and, you know, another thing to check out um, is depending on your locality, a, a lot of library systems have access to something called Canopy, which um, usually there's a limited license. And with your library card, you get a certain number of movies streaming for free per month. And they have, in many of their collections, they have Criterion included. (laughs) And so that's another resource to look into. You know, I think it would be great if the Library of Congress were to set up, you know, some kind of a rotating schedule where on their website, you know, loc.gov or whatever, um, if they had a streaming service that would just stream kind of, you know, TCM type stuff on a rotating basis, you know, um, based on their collections and holdings. Because I think, you know... It's great that TCM exists and that they're kind of con- they're continuing, you know, as a for-profit company to put these movies out. But, you know, as part of our sort of cultural heritage, um, you know, it seems like it should be something that 
on a kind of governmental or, you know, kind of nonprofit basis, there should be availability of these things for everyone to see them as just sort of our, you know, as our as kind of these cultural icons. You're, you're absolutely right, Richie. And uh, TCM itself has a narrow band of programming. There's far more things. It's all American stuff from the 20s through 60s, I would say. Um, there is, in fact, a great analogy for this. Um, if you go to France, there's the Cinémathèque Française in Paris that is paid for by the government that is open. I don't know if they have streaming now. I bet they do. Uh, but I used to go to movies. I'd be standing in line with uh, Bill Murray, who was also studying abroad at the same time. Uh, and there's the B British Film Institute in uh, German Germany in Berlin. There's the uh, Kino Film Museum, uh, which is insane. And there is one for every major European country. There's one in Tokyo. There's... Uh, I don't know about I don't know about China. I don't know about India, but there that model is that the government should be transmitting the cultural heritage uh, of the patrimony or you know and matrimony uh, to to its citizens. And what's great about those is they're all reduced price. TCM is free. Criterion's not free, but not very expensive. Um, but I a hundred percent agree with you. And I. The American Film Institute does a ton of programming. Whether it's streaming or not, I don't know. But in person, unbelievable. And what's really great about the Library of Congress and the American Film Institute and uh, some other some of the uh, gigantic film uh, collections at schools like USC is they're just doing a lot more restoration. And now that mm -hmm. you have digital tools, mm -hmm. you can make any almost any film no matter how horrible it was how, how trashed how ripped apart how scratched how dirty and make it pristine again and uh and then that goes out over many of the channels we just discussed uh i'm i'm very excited about the fact that the library of congress does spend money on that yeah uh you know my partner is the is uh an employee of the surviving uh uh, partner of John Schlesinger, the British uh, film director who did Midnight Cowboy, and they did a um, they totally restored the print from that, and apparently the digital version of it is uh, is pretty incredible. And so you know, as that kind of stuff happens with some of these legendary films, uh, you know, it, it would be nice to be able to go and see those again on the big screen. You know, well, there's still yeah. far more that are lost to history, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, back when film was created b between the late 1800s, uh, basically turn of the century, and the 30s, film was all made on this totally flammable film stock called nitrate. So you, it, it would just burn all the time. Tom Riley is our guest. I'm Johnny Mack. I'm here with Richie Roy and Chick Maxson on the GBC Happy Hour. We'll continue our conversation with Tom, and when we do, we're going to get into talking about some tech stuff. Apple has these confangled goggles that I think he's going to talk about. So stay with us as the happy hour continues from GBC.
live once a week, but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them. The hosts will tell you where, if you ask nicely. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Uh, we are here with our guest, Tom Riley. Um, I'm Richie Roy. We're here with Johnny Mack and Chick Maxson. Sorry. And, um, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, film and places to see things that are kind of, you know, sort of more historical or classic. You know, I wanted to throw one thing out there. Um, uh, it's not exactly in the same vein, but it's actually a really interesting resource, archive.org which is kind of um, this vast nonprofit conglomerate of all kinds of old things, internet stuff, you know, the Wayback Machine. They have something on there called the Prelinger Archive, which is a vast collection of old industrial films, military reels, newsreels, just kind of old arcana and kind of um, random stuff that, that was, you know, saved from film and all digitized. And, um, and it's, where is you this know, again? Archive.org. Okay. So, Rick, so, you go know, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, yeah, and so, you know, stuff like, you know, especially that kind of 1950s industrial film, you know, how do you, how do you, um, you know, how to load your your dishwasher, you know, back when dishwashers were new. And there would be some kind of, you know, GE-sponsored uh, you know, short film, uh, you know, these very kind of campy industrials. There's tons of that stuff on there. It's all free. Um, it's gr it's just, it's an amazing resource. Um, you know, Rick Prelinger, who was the person that collected a lot of this stuff originally, put his, his collection there digitized on archive.org. So another fun place to go if you're, if you're looking for content, um, and, you know, especially that kind of mid-century uh, stuff. I um, mean, just thinking about Oppenheimer again. Um, it's a it's a great place to just to find some some old, really interesting things. And there's a lot. I got a chance to meet Rick a couple times because I used to work at Criterion uh, 30 years ago when that we were laser discs. Believe it or not. Um, anyway, there's also some fantastic films of that era on YouTube. Lots of lots of great stuff. So so my favorite are the health films for teenagers. <laughs> They're so awesome. So menstruation, what you need to know, and mm -hmm. masturbation, boys, here's what it means. And, and, you know, all about sex and preventing pregnancy and going steady and, like, how to date and they're hilarious absolutely hilarious so if you just if you just search on subjects like that then it will refer you to a lot more of them and you've seen a bunch haven't you richie oh yeah yeah i mean i eat that stuff up because it's so the the tone is so it's so like it, it, it they're just can't they're these camp performances um and you know i love that and and, and the thing is you know I, i'm a i'm a huge robert altman fan and, um, you know, he he started cutting his teeth in industrials. And so, you know, um, there's there's this also this through line, you know, uh, from things like that kind of industrial quality of acting and of, of shooting things to even, you know, things like movies like Nashville. Um, so, yeah, I'm a huge fan of that stuff. Yeah. And there's other fantastic things like how to not become a fallen woman. <laughs> <laughs> and they show all these like there's a spurned woman like walking through the town square and all the women are like looking at her with this totally disapproving looks and then lots of lots of military ones how to keep secrets venereal disease mm -hmm. the venereal disease ones you'll just you'll <laughs> laugh so hard they're awesome 
In our final few moments, uh, I want to take advantage of the fact that uh, Tom is very plugged in to technology, but especially to the world that is Apple. And they had a big recent announcement at their Worldwide Developers Conference this year uh, about a new piece of technology that they're releasing soon. So you think I'm going to say Vision Pro, the handset, but what's really important is their new platform called Spatial Computing. Right now, the Vision Pro is $3,500. It's really only for rich people and software developers. You know, who's going to pay that kind of money? Uh, But it is a statement of direction. And if you look at the first iPhone was completely slow with a terrible network from AT&T. The first iPod uh, didn't hold very much. Well, a thousand songs not so bad uh the ipad was underpowered the original Macs, the original mac had 400k floppy and a nine inch screen black and white and so you i look at everything from historical point of view this is a statement of direction and so five generations right now from now it'll be affordable and extremely useful and much smaller and but the inventions the amount of inventions in this hardware and software are just astounding uh for example every other handset every other uh sort of quote vr headset which this is not it's way superset of that is totally lame like you look at who would ever buy a handset a meta headset from you know from meta they're just toys this is something you can do real work with and uh you know, it has incredible gigantic screens, perfect sound. You can, people can see your eyes, sort of digital version of your eyes when they're uh, looking at you. So they, they know that you're in there, if you will. And uh, it, you can, you'll basically be able to sit back and watch TV on a 500 square foot screen or 100 square foot screen because of the way the technology works. And the most important thing with, quote, VR headsets up to date. This is really a VR, AR, but those are useless backwards terms, spatial computing platform. is You used to get sick when you used a VR headset after about 10 minutes because the image was not staying in synchronization with the sound and not with the mm. movements of your head. And so if the, if the image is lagging and you're still moving your headset, it causes this dislocation in your brain and you get nauseous. Apple licked that lag so now you can wear it comfortably for hours which no other manufacturer has figured out how to do it after all this time it's incredibly crazy it's the most beautiful industrial design it's comfortable to wear considering it's giant it goes over your head and so the best way to look at this is is it like wearing a helmet uh yes a little bit honestly it's like a blast a blast helmet a little bit it's not that bad but what i want to what Apple's saying is this is a new kind of computing. It will change everything. At some point in the future, you'll be able to uh, use this platform without any hardware at all because you'll have hardware mounted in your room that can pick up all the stuff that right now it has to be close enough on your head, you know, all your movements, mm-hmm. all your video, etc. So this, you know, remember the Mac is 40 years old. The iPad is 17 years old. The iPhone is 12. Sorry, iPad is younger than the, the phone. Phone is at least 15 years old now. And now they're extremely refined. I wouldn't say they're affordable. By a- Apple's not known for affordable. But they're 
they're refined, they're small, they're usable, they're fast, they're lightweight. And I expect that to happen with Vision Pro too. But this is like the statement of intent. This is the first draft. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's so interesting, um, you know, uh, where I think where Apple kind of um, made a, a, a sort of a really momentous decision that allows so much of this stuff to be happening now is to, is to purchase themselves into the chip creation and manufacturing uh, market. Because, you know, even the original, the original hack was a Motorola, you know, and then it was PowerPC and it was Intel and it was ARM and all these different things. Um, now that they, uh, you know, are manufacturing their own chips, they can really tailor the silicon to what they want to do. And I think that, that that's really given them such a leg up in, in things like like creating, you know, a, a headset that 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 sort of blast past the problems that, you know, using off the, off the shelf chipsets, um, cause. So Richie, are we like related? Um, <laughs> we share an interesting sensibility and, uh, interest, interest areas. Uh, I'm obsessed with this stuff too. It sounds like you are. And, uh, look and you're both gingers. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're brothers or something. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Well, I think that there's so much uh, more to look forward to. And, you know, it's like it's a reason to hold on to want to play the game called life and, you know, to see where we're going. I mean, there's so much bad in the world. But then you hear about these kinds of exciting developments and you think like, oh, man, I I really want to be here to see our future. So, And I really wish I had Apple stock at three trillion dollar (laughs) valuation. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, it's been a very fun week and we appreciate you uh, being here. By the way, last week when we were here, I forgot to mention when we were on on Sunday because we had a really action packed show that day as well, that that was my 28th anniversary. And uh, so a big um, thank you and shout out to my uh, one and only uh, Charlie and uh, love him very much. And so Uh, I also want to let you know that coming up in the next couple of weeks, we'll be bringing back some audio. I am this weekend, actually, in Tacoma, Washington for Pride up there, and we're going to hang out with our uh, friend and LGBTQ community hero, Dr. Greta Kammermeyer, who was the uh, highest-ranking person to challenge service in the military for LGBT people, and she'll be a guest on one of our next upcoming shows and so I look forward to that Richie Roy in New York and Chick Maxson in Texas Johnny Mack in California and thank you to Tom Riley you guys have a great weekend you too thank you you too